Won't you rejoice with me? For this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This morning, I pray, O oh God, that you speak to our hearts in ways that perhaps we didn't expect. Surprise us with the refreshing of your spirit in this place. We'll do our very best to give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. And together we said, Amen. This morning, I thought we would take up the daunting task together of focusing in on a very familiar text. If I asked any one of you to stand and repeat by heart Psalm 23, don't worry, I'm not going to do it. I'm sure you could do so, right? But this morning, I ask that you would join me in revisiting this very familiar text again for the first time. And with that, I think it is so fitting during this season of Lent, this season of reflection, this season of pause, right? I'm saying that to, to a room full of busy people who may not have paused just yet. This season where we have an opportunity to reset in our walk and our journey with God, that we focus in on this text from the lens and the topic, assurances for the sheep. Who are the sheep that I'm referring to? Throughout the biblical text, the sheep symbolize the followers of Christ. Peter refers to the church as the flock of God. And the sheep within this metaphorical framing represent each and every one of us as followers of Christ. We are his flock and the sheep of his pasture. The sheep in this framing are loyal, obedient, followers of a shepherd who's leading them into good things, who leads and guides and protects faithfully. Jesus is called the great shepherd in the book of Hebrews and the good shepherd in the gospel of John. The gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I came so that my sheep will have life and everything that they will need. The good shepherd even gives his life for his sheep. In today's psalm, Psalm 23, we hear David explaining the traits of our Lord as shepherd and providing assurances for the sheep. What I love about the book of Psalms is that these poems, these songs are not casual statements about God. But they are authentic and meaningful contemplations of the soul of the writer. They point to a relationship with God that is not based on trite, cliche, quick responses, and when read prayerfully or sung beautifully as just done, psalms can not only enrich our understanding of the history of the writer, but they can enrich and expand our understanding of God and ourselves in relationship to God. In the first verse of Psalm 23, David directs us to the Lord as shepherd and invites us into sanctuary and communion with God. David was a shepherd before he was a king. He was so dutiful about his role as shepherd that as we heard in our Old Testament reading today, 
he almost missed the moment of his anointing because he was tending to the sheep. David led, guided, and protected his sheep with great skill and courage. He knew the importance of a shepherd in the lives of the sheep. When David was a shepherd, he tended to sheep that lived on very arid, dry, rocky terrain with the threat of even falling off a cliff if they wandered too far and at the risk of not finding water if they were left on their own. He was so skilled and courageous as a shepherd that when the task of handling the great Goliath came before him, he stepped up to the challenge that all the other warriors cowered from by telling Saul, I am your servant that has been used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, rescued the lamb from its mouth, and I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down and kill it. I don't know about you, but I need a shepherd like that. So it's clear that when David says shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, he doesn't say it lightly. In today's Psalm, the great shepherd, David, makes a statement of humility and surrender when he turns his gaze from his work as shepherd and as leader and calls God my shepherd. In that opening proclamation, David, the shepherd, calls the Lord shepherd and then himself becomes a sheep. David becomes a sheep who needs the Lord our God to guide and direct and protect him. What a profound realization from one that in many circumstances and instances is the leader, the provider, the one in control to now realize that he needs a shepherd. David was qualified to shepherd God's people not only because of his resume, his past victories in overcoming lions and bears, but also because he knew the great shepherd, God, for himself. David was the apple of God's eye because he was a leader who realized that there is one greater and one whom he became sheep to follow after. For a great king like David to write of God as his shepherd, it lets us know that truly we are all in need of a good shepherd, especially in times like these. I think that so many of us forget that we serve a God who truly cares for us. Even while knowing very well our mistakes, our weaknesses, our sin, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. In the whirlwind and the uncertainty of life, it's important to remember that we have a God who does sit high, but who also looks low. A God who is mindful of us. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 8, he says, when I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings? What are each and every one of us that you would be so mindful of us? When David calls on the Lord as shepherd, he brings us back into focus to a God who cares, who loves, who sees. 
He then goes on in that sentence and he says, because you are the Lord, my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Or other translations say, I shall not lack. When David completes that first phrase of this beautiful poem, he is saying that for us to hear and be reminded that in the midst where all are struggling perhaps and competing for goods and resources and supply, that we must be reminded that with the Lord, our shepherd, we actually have abundance and not scarcity. What does a scarcity mindset look like? A scarcity mindset looks like doubt, anxiety, worry, pity. It looks like a lack of responsibility. It looks like setting our standards for less than. It looks like doubting whether or not God can really handle the big isms of the day and perhaps use you or I as a co-journer in doing the great work of God in our very midst. But with God as our shepherd, we must remember to change our mindset even though it perhaps defies our circumstances and our situations. We must change our mindset into one of an abundance mindset. Not the very shallow and in some cases manipulative prosperity gospel abundance. But one that is rooted and grounded in the promises of God. In an abundance mindset, we believe that all things are possible through and with Christ. When we have an abundance mindset, we detach from our need to constantly accumulate and hoard. In an abundance mindset, we believe that God will keep God's promises to provide. In an abundance mindset, we have the confidence that God is doing what God says, that God will work all things out for the good of them that love God and are called according to God's will. In an abundance mindset, we actually take calculated risks for higher rewards. In an abundance mindset, we actually take risks that are based upon a faith that has not yet seen the end of the road. In an abundance mindset, we have a peace that makes no sense because we know that we have a shepherd who controls it all, who engages with us in ways that are meaningful to cojourn in the midst of chaos and promises that we, through him, when we make our requests known, with thanksgiving and supplication, can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. We focus in on shepherd. We focus in on abundance. And I love how even with all of that, as our minds are swirling, David says, and yet we also have an opportunity with this great shepherd to find rest. In this moment of Lent, this moment where we can actually come and rest and sit in a merry posture at the feet of Christ. It is in that moment in this psalm, and I love how we are walking through stages through this poem of David to be reminded of the importance of Sabbath, of the importance of resting and allowing God to pour within. And when we sit there as the sheep of God, God says that's where we can find restoration for our souls. Another way of saying that is that we pause long enough so that our souls can catch up. And it is in that moment as sheep that the fount of God pours out. 
Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. And then David walks us through, after this moment of rest, into a place where we are reminded of the ever-presence of God. A place where God is with us even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. A place where God prepares a table even when we are confronting our greatest enemies. It is in that place that God reminds us that we can never flee too far for God to reach us. Where can I go from your spirit, O God, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand can reach me and lead me. One of the greatest assurances of this Psalm 23 is in the close, where David says, surely. Someone say surely. surely. That is a word of assurance. For surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is one thing to search for God. It is one thing to seek God. Oh, but it is another to realize that God is pursuing you. This text says that goodness and mercy shall follow me. God pursues us with God's love. For he said, God so loved the world that he sent his son to be with us, to dwell amongst us, to provide witness, to provide comfort, to provide healing. God's goodness and mercy is running after us. I know for some that may not make any sense because you know what you've done. <laughs> you know what you may have said. You know perhaps what you have left undone, and yet this great merciful God is pursuing you and me with love, with forgiveness, with another chance. Does anyone need another chance? Oh, perhaps we haven't hit the high mark. I'm humble enough to know that I've made some bad mistakes. I've said some things I had no business saying. I'm humble enough to know that, God, I haven't hit that mark. And how assuring is that for our minds and our souls and our spirits to know that even still the God, our good shepherd, is pursuing us. The visual for this is told in a parable where a good shepherd leaves his 99 sheep to find the one that has wandered off. Remember David and the leading the sheep, they're on arid land, rocky and full of crags and holes and pitfalls and possibly a cliff even that he could fall off. And the good sheep leaves the 99 to go after the one. Jesus reminds us that a shepherd cares deeply not only for all of his sheep as a whole, but for each and every single one. My, my. That's the example that Jesus shows us in the gospel text today. This beggar who had been invisible to so many. Jesus turned his attention not to the why this man was blind, 
not to the analysis of paralysis, trying to figure out why this man was being unseen and himself not able to see. He turned his attention to pursuing the one on the margins. That's how justice and equity enter into our walk and our journey with God. Seeing others who have been rendered invisible, hearing those who've been rendered silent. Jesus shows us in our gospel text that when he walked along and saw this blind man, that we must work to not over-diagnose, blame, criticize, but realize that that blind man is us. That that one on the margin perhaps is us. That those who are out there not being seen or not being heard are the ones like Jesus we must turn our attention to and pull into the fold, not by diagnosing and analyzing and critiquing, but with the love that God shows us. This makes me think about God differently. It makes me realize that even more than not. Others are created and loved by God as much as we are created and loved by God. It makes me want to treat others differently. It makes me want to treat others as children of the same living and loving God that I call shepherd and rely upon. What would our communities look like if we didn't spend so much time overanalyzing why some have and some don't? Stop spending so much time wondering why others haven't pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. What would our communities look like if we spent more time trying to bridge the gaps, heal our communities, our nation, and our world? I pray that you today are assured of God's care for you, God's care for your soul, your well-being, and that of your neighbors. May you be assured, sheep, that God sees you and hears your cries, that God is merciful, protecting, guiding, and ever-present, that God is pursuing you, doesn't want to leave you out, and has not given up on you. And with these assurances, rather than continuing to run from a pursuing God or turn away from a God or close our eyes and our ears today, can I ask you, if this speaks to your heart, to, to just put your hands out like this in an act of surrender and receipt, that we might together dwell with our ever-present God, with the mindset of abundance, for we serve a God who is limitless. May we surrender ourselves to the one who loves us with an everlasting love, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him and in his presence daily live. Amen.